1: any one of them will give you another two to three inches drop on your curveball of course if the umps are watching me close i just rub a little jalapeno inside my nose get it running and if i need to load the ball up a little just wipe my nose you put snot on the ball i haven't got an arm like yours i gotta put anything on it i can find
2: You're listening to 670 The Score. It is hit and run on a Sunday morning, a two-team town where the tribalism has made itself known in the first hour of the show. That, of course, from Major League Chelsea Ross, the actor, uh, talking about putting whatever the hell he can on the ball. That was to reduce spin. The way that Gaylord Perry used to and other guys do. But these days now we're talking about sticky stuff to increase spin. That'll be part of our conversation with Sean Marshall from the Marquee Sports Network, who joins us right now on 670, the score. Uh, But just part of the conversation. We got a first place team who's taken two in a row from St. Louis in front of a big old crowd to talk about. Good morning, Sean. Sean.
1: Speaks, what's up? Good morning. Yeah, it's just fun to talk about those Cubbies. It's fun to talk about those White Sox, too. Chicago baseball is feeling it. It's fun to watch. Summertime is here. Opening day 2.0 was unbelievable on Friday. Uh, it's been a fun week of baseball, that's for sure, Matt.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Thanks for the time. You got White Sox fans who live around you um, up, uh, up on the north uh, side where you live there,
1: Sean? I sure do. I'm I'm in a text message thread with about 13 guys over here with some of the kids, uh, the dads of my kids that go to school. And uh-huh. there's White Sox fans, there's Cubs fans. I mean, everybody's everybody's happy with what's going on right now. I mean, I, I think that. Some Cubs fans, maybe White Sox fans now. Some White Sox fans, maybe Cubs fans too. So it's fun to root for both teams at the moment, for
2: sure. See, it's interesting because there is a tribalism, but there's also a crossover. And and for me, I love it. I mean, I'm blessed to work in a two-team town and cover both these teams. It's been fascinating. Watched one full-on rebuild under Theo. Watched another full-on rebuild under Rick Hahn, doing it in different ways. And we've arrived at a point where, like, World Series, Crosstown Classic Dreaming, is a real thing it's um it, it it's quite something and, and quite special sean i saw you on the marquee set out there on gallagher way on friday and then i know you've been inside did you get a chance to be in the ballpark at all and feel that crowd over the past couple days
1: you know i didn't make it in there friday or saturday i'm planning on wandering over there today a little bit less on the schedule but yeah we were out in gallagher way for opening day 2.0. We had Fergie on the set. We had some good energy. We had fans behind us, which was awesome to see. We were bringing the energy. I was getting the fans all riled up. I love that. But uh, yeah, the vibes in the ballpark, especially on Friday with the Hall of Famers throwing out the first pitch and being around the ballpark. Bill Murray stops in all the suites up there. He stopped in Marquee Studios there for a little bit and talked with us and is in one of our bumps walking behind us. That was absolutely hilarious. But just good vibes. John ben- Vincent kills the anthem as he always does. Just, just so fun to cover Cubs baseball right now. It was hot out there on that turf, but I'd do it all day, every single day if I had a chance.
2: That's awesome. Um, want to ask you about Kyle Hendricks, who in his last six starts is six and zero with a two point nine three ERA. Um, but it's so interesting because he leads the majors in home runs allowed, and there was a couple more yesterday. But I think Bert Blylevin has the record for most home runs allowed in a season. Pitchers are going to do that. Um, tell people why Kyle Hendricks can have success while also giving up solo home runs. Talk, talk about that balance yeah. a
1: little bit. Well, the majority, I'd probably say the majority of his home runs were in April when he really did struggle. He was missing location. And he, his average fastball in last night's game was 87.9 miles per hour. So if you're missing in the middle of the plate, you know, these are professional hitters. They're trained to do damage on mistakes in the middle of the plate, and that's what you've seen from Kyle at times, is the sinker. He's trying to go in, and a lot of them are, are 2 left-handed batters. He tries to go in. The sinker fades back over the center of the plate, and just at that speed, it's easy to kind of catch up to. It's not Jacob deGrom at 99-100. It's a little bit more easy to square up with the barrel, but you've seen the adjustments that Kyle has made. This guy, he's unbelievable. He's He's such a professional. He is so uh, poised out there. He knew what kind of adjustments he needed to make after April. He pitched outstanding. In May, pitched outstanding again last night and has won his last six decisions in a row. He's on 6-0 and oh in the time. And last night, just, yeah, the two home runs. The one solo shot to Nolan Arenado was a sinker in and off the plate. Sometimes you tip your cap to a good hitter, and Nolan Arenado was able to square it up and keep it fair really is a phenomenal swing by him. It was very impressive. But, you know, the other solo shot late in the game, too, not a huge impact on his his outing. That was to Paul DeYoung in the third inning. Just a solo shot to start that inning. But that was a, a moment in that game last night where Kyle had to kind of make a choice, like, what's going to happen in this start? Can I get rattled and give up that 5-1 to lead that I just got commanded to after John Gant's wheels fell off in the second. Mm-hmm. And Kyle gets gives up the homer, a single, gets an out, gets a walk. So we got first and second Goldschmidt up, probably their best hitter right with Arenado. And same vibes as the Rizzo at-bat on Friday, a nine-pitch at-bat, great pitching sequences, doesn't give in, reads the hitter swings, continues to pound the sinker, and just makes the perfect pitch because Goldschmidt, he could tell, was sitting changeup. So if he throws him a changeup, maybe the game is five-five. He painted the sinker down and away, gets that second out of the inning, and then gets Nolan Arenado to roll over to shortstop. The next batter and kind of kills that rally, and then continues to the pitch what he's been doing, leading the Cubs to his sixth victory in a row and, and putting the cards down, losing ten of twelve. So they've been they're they're in a skid. It's, it, you know, as as a Cubs fan, and I'm sure you are too, Matt. It's fun watching the Cardinals lose. Watch the Cardinals not play good baseball at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: most most seasons <laughs> leading the league in home runs. By the way, I was looking this up, Sean, this morning. Fergie Jenkins seven times, twice as a member of the Texas Rangers, <clears throat> and five times as a Cub. So, like, good pitchers. Good pitchers know what they're doing. Sometimes when they just like, all right, yeah. so there's, there's, a, so that one's a little overplayed. Well, big deal. It's five to two. Yeah, uh, no, no big deal. I um, was reading this, Sean, on, um, on MLB.com from Jordan Bastion, how David Ross admits that he manages differently the day before Kyle Hendricks starts because he knows he's going to get innings on Kyle day. Um, this week he pushed him a day yeah. and through through Cole Stewart on Friday. In the 12 games before Kyle Hendricks starts, the starting pitchers average 4.1 innings pitched. That's, that's an interesting thing. I, I don't think I thought about that much, how, how the manager can bank on somebody to give him innings, and that changes the way he manages the day before. That's a, a, that's a powerful thing to have a, a manager know that he can have that kind of flexibility, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, that credit the dependableness of Kyle Hendricks and knowing that he's gonna go out and give quality innings. You know, his his goal is to throw seven innings. We've seen it sometimes and I think you're gonna see it here going forward to be efficient and get into the seventh and eighth inning and lighten the load of that hard working Cubs bullpen. I mean, that's just tremendous preparation by David Ross and the front office to, to be in coordination like that and able to play your cards that way, knowing that you have a guy that's gonna give you a quality start, who's dependable and, and who's gonna get after it on that next day. So that's that's incredible to see. Uh, David Ross, to me, is just doing an incredible job of managing the ball club. You know, the bullpen usage has been fantastic. He's found a niche role for every single one of those guys, and the success and the numbers prove it. You know, the different lineups, dealing with injuries, you know, the, the different lineup configurations, it's, just, it's a crazy year, speed. That you see all these teams, and just a, about a week ago, the Cubs had 45 different lineup configurations in 2021. I was, and I was texting our head researcher, Chris Antonacci, I was like, Nosh, that seems like a lot. He said that's the third fewest lineup configurations in baseball. There's so many more teams that are dealing with the injuries as well, putting guys in different places. But you see the success that David Ross is having doing this And it's just fun to watch. The the Cubs are feeling it, that everybody looks comfortable. The rookie's coming up, making an immediate impact, and the veterans making them feel like they've been there their whole lives. You see the success Patrick Wisdom has because of that. So it's just fun to watch. It's fun to cover. I'm sure you're enjoying it on 680 Score, and I'm just enjoying the heck out of it at Marquee Sports Network.
2: Yeah, absolutely enjoyed it, man. Hey, can you explain, Sean Marshall? Can you explain to me the success of Dan Winkler? I'm trying to figure it out. Like, he doesn't throw that hard, really, uh, or uh, compared to, to other folks. But maybe is is it the delivery? Is it is there a significant amount of carry or the absence of drop on that four seamer? Like, what is what is so effective about Winkler? Because he's been great.
1: He's been. Absolutely outstanding. I'll just read you his numbers. He's got a win, and he's got an 0.79 ERA in 25 games. Pitch, this guy's on a roll. Confidence is brewing with that entire bullpen. But Winkler, you know, at times last year, you're kind of like, oh, he's coming in the game because of his wildness. It's a little bit of an effective wildness. He gets very rotational. His arm slot is a little different than most guys. He kind of gets under the pitch, and that's why he's got the ride with this fastball to carry through the zone. But he also mm. throws that cutter, and most cutters, and he's like a hybrid kind of cutter-slider thing, have depth. His has, like, just kind of a lot of horizontal movement. It just runs away from the righties. So Ross has put him in a lot of situations to succeed, a lot of righty-righty matchups, and he's just been dominating those guys. But he's funky. He's He's got a lot of herky-jerky stuff in his delivery. He kind of falls off to the first base side, and that arm just kind of comes out. You know, I would say low three-quarter, you know, sidearm to low three-quarter, and he gets his hand on the side or almost underneath, and is able to spin it and get some carry, and it traces away from the righties and missing barrels. But, you know, it's just a confident pin, and it, they're all kind of rubbing off on each other, you see. And I would just read you a, a couple numbers on Chapin, Pair and Kemble. They've thrown together over 30 innings scoreless over the past uh, 24, 25 games or so. So they're just... They're feeling it. They're dealing. It's fun to watch. And it gives Rossi the opportunity to to give it to anybody down there. They've all done so good. Tommy Nance, you know, we're missing a couple guys. Justin Steele's on the I.L. He'll come back to add some more lefty depth in the pen. But fun to watch. It's fun to cover. That's for sure. Speaks.
2: Wait a minute. So 30 scoreless innings. For Chafin, Tapera, and Kimbrell over the last twenty-five games, that's bananas. That's that's lefty setup, righty setup, and closer. That's lead yeah. after seven. Good night, everybody. Lead after six, yeah. even. Good night, everybody. Tommy that's Nance, amazing.
1: Too. Tommy Nance has just been outstanding. I mean, talking about a guy, a story of you know persistence and adversity coming in as a thirty-year-old rookie, and he just looks like he's been there for the last eight years, just doing it.
2: Yeah, it, it, that, and that's great stuff on Winkler. That, that's it. He gets underneath the ball, and it almost looks like when he's throwing it, he's throwing it uh, from low to high. That, that's what it feels like, and you're talking about the carry on that pitch. So then if you're looking for that, and you're in your head about that, and then the cutter comes and it moves the other way, that can really screw you up, those 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 two things together. I I, I feel like the Cubs pitching infrastructure, they've figured some stuff out, man, whether it's – You know, whether it's Craig Breslow or the combination of Borzello and Tommy Hadovy, I feel like every one of these relievers and most of these starters are like, oh, yeah, they know what they're doing to help me. And they're really they're really doing it, doing it well. Did you find that different organizations had different intelligence levels, different levels of resource and teaching abilities as you moved around the league a little bit, Sean?
1: Yeah, well, I spent the majority of my time with the Cubs. I was just Cubs and reds and and the game has changed so much. My last year was 2015 and cut short from the shoulder injuries, but just in the last, I would say six, seven, eight years, the the use of technology in the game and guy's able to, to see on graphics or charts and and numbers of spin rate and, and, Spin and, and and you know trajectory. All these different things have just made everything just so different. And, and the Cubs' infrastructure, Hodevi, the brilliant Craig Breslow, the scouting department, the coaching staffs, uh, both in the minor leagues and the major league, are able to develop these guys and find you know just treasure throughout the league. Andrew Chapin, you know, they've made, maybe made a few different changes with him, but he's got great carry on his heater. The slider's Mm -hmm. been breaking. His confidence has been good. But just a little thing. In your intro here to our segment, you talk about getting the spin rate up. And a lot of these guys, they do the opposite. Hendricks, a little bit of Davies, Arrieta. They're they're trying to lose spin, especially on the sinkers and the change-ups. So you can see those numbers and how they dictate ball flight uh, with spin rate drops. I mean, uh, the sinker for Hendricks he's like 1,800 to 2,000 RPMs, and it just kind of wobbles up there, and he gets that, that last-minute movement, which makes him so effective for the weak contact. But, you know, you talk about the sticky stuff. It's a big conversation in the game, but these guys aren't doing it because they're spinning the ball less on average and making the ball move more. So that's different. That's something different that, that we talk about now in today's game versus when I played.
2: Yeah. um, And it's certain profiles of pitchers. Don't use that stuff. Don't need that stuff. Uh, Dallas Keuchel on the south side is not a guy who's looking to add spin. He's looking he's a guy who's looking to reduce spin. Um, But there's certainly guys in this bullpen, uh, you know, and and like I, I don't really fault anybody for for where they are, because baseball has allowed it to take place for as long as they have. And teams themselves have chemists. Uh, on staff you know it, it it's interesting um did did you and and you could talk about this openly i think sean i hope you don't worry about it because like guys are are saying it now did you ever did you mix pine tar with resin or did you use firm grip or bullfrog sunscreen like did you try some of that stuff on the four seamer and did it help a lot
1: i tell you what i think it's pretty much noted that most pitchers you know they need the grip especially in the cold weather, you talk, you're talk. talking to Sutcliffe, you know, he thinks the ball turns into cue ball when it's cold. And a lot yeah. of these balls, almost all the balls, when they come out of the umpire's ball bag or out of the ball bucket from the bat boy, they, they have a dust cover on them. And so, like, at times, the ball is almost impossible to grip and throw and spin correctly. So a lot of guys, yeah, they were, back in the day, it was a little bit of sunscreen. You tap that rosin bag on your forearm. And you just touch it, and you got a little bit of tack. It's not—it's not this super sticky, you know, spider tack or whatever these different things are. I've never, have seen that or felt that. i will thinking about ordering some on Amazon to see what it was like. Not gonna pitch it anymore. <laughs> you should. But it's just fascinating, um, the story. I mean, I, I it's, you know, I guess you can credit safety to the batter, you know, things like this. But if you're getting carried away and you're blatantly cheating, and it's affecting the outcome of the game. And people's careers. I think it needs to be taken a little bit deeper look into, but it's a big story in baseball. I'm not too caught up in all of it. You know, I just kind of, it's kind of the way it's been. But if it's going above and beyond, it needs to be addressed. And it sounds like Major League Baseball is doing their part here going forward to kind of address any issues that they've seen or are reading. So, you know, I'm not going to get too much more into it. That's about all I know. But I think <laughs> Bullfrog. And rosin bag, and there's a certain type of rosin. You tap on there; it was stickier than other. Maybe it's got pine tar rosin or something. But, but that's what. But what most of the go to was back in the day. But I don't know how it's changed since then. I mean, the technology. The guys are able to see the numbers yep. on different stuff that they're using on their hands. So maybe that's that's the huge change between when I played and now.
2: Yeah, I I, I think it is. The, the spider tack is is hilarious to me. There's an article this week. The guys who invented spider tack. And it's used in like strongman competitions to help, you know, um, like strongmen hold cinder blocks and concrete balls, wow. those things. <laughs> That's why, right? That's why they invented it, yeah and and then all of a sudden they saw this massive spike in their sales and they're like, what's going on here? Who are we selling this stuff to? They didn't know what it was being used for out there in the world. And of course it's, it's pitchers and, and innovations and, it's uh, like and, the
1: GameStop uh, and the AMC stock yeah. <laughs> but buy stock and spider tech.
2: <laughs> yeah, you should, you should. I, yeah. I love the, I, I mean, you know, I love the idea of you, a former big leaguer grabbing some just to see what it does, you know, then you could learn about it and like, and, and talk about it the way that these guys are are doing it, but we'll see. I, I, I've grown increasingly convinced, Sean, that it's a big, big deal in terms of helping to get more balls in play. Like I, I, I just think it's a big deal because guys have created these kind of unhittable pitches, you know. Sure. Um, so so it's like if they did that and uh, if they did that and they and they worked on the strike zone a little bit, you know, th- those those kind of things. I, I think it would be. It would be a, 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 a big deal. Um, do you, I suspect the Cubs are going to add a starting pitcher, and it's exciting to think about as opposed to the selling that everybody kind of thought was going to be the storyline. I think they will add instead. Jed Hoyer talking about it openly. Um, that'd be pretty powerful, wouldn't it, if you added? I mean, obviously people dream of a Max Scherzer, but... Maybe it's uh, Kyle Gibson. Maybe it's John Gray. It's, you know, it's like if they added a yeah. big-time, you know, strong power arm to this rotation, that that seems to be the number one need on this team. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's just the story of Major League Baseball forever. It's, it's all about starting pitching and bullpen relief and, you know, guys able to close the door. You think about the balance of the – the Cubs team right now, going into the season, you know, you're like, how good is this rotation going to be? You've seen a lot of them be very, very good. But then but You see some inconsistencies at times uh, because of the lack of the power stuff. But the finesse game throughout that rotation is just fantastic to watch. But, yeah, and I was with Greg Maddox in 2006, my rookie season, and we were sitting in the locker room. He was going over a depth chart, starting rotation depth charts to start the season in '06. And he was looking at the rotations only, and he would say, this team's going to be good, this team's not going to be good. This team will probably make the playoffs, this team won't make the playoffs. But it was he was just looking at five-man rotations. So you see some injuries with the Cubs right now. Al's who was terrific, leaves his start last week with the blister. Hopefully he heals that up. He he, he could definitely be the, a formidable uh, guy in that rotation going forward when he comes back from blister. He's been great in, in developing on the fly. Trevor Williams is injured right now, so they're really there's the three main guys. Hendricks, Davies, and Arietta, are healthy right now, and they're all pitching pretty well this time through the rotation. And, and Davies and Hendricks, in particular, are great since May. Uh, but you think about a team that really wants to win and win now. You got to add, you got to add a starting pitcher. I think that'd be a good idea. But again, Jed Hoyer coming into the season, he's got an eye on the present and an eye on the future. So we'll see. But. The moves that he's made and some of the, the Cubs' front office and the scouting department, some of these guys they brought in and the impact they've made has been fun to watch. So, you know, I think that if Cubs really want to compete, another starter would probably be a very good idea, but they're hanging in there first place in the NL Central. And, and you just see the starting rotation. Look at the Brewers. They have the, the three-headed monster, Burns and Woodruff Peralta up there, and they're carrying their squad right at the top of the division. You know, Yelich is healthy now again, but – it's it comes down to starting pitching. So going forward, starting pitching is key for those guys to get healthy and continue to contribute in case they don't make uh, a key acquisition towards this trade deadline.
2: Sean, thanks so much, man. Enjoy your Sunday. Appreciate the time. And uh, keep that text thread with the, uh, w- with the parents of the kids vibrant with both teams on, in, in this two-team town. It's exciting times, that's for sure.
1: No doubt. Yeah, All very right. exciting times. Thanks for having me, Speaks.
2: Oh, you got it, Sean. Thank you. That's Sean Marshall from the Marquee Sports Network. 312-644-6767 if you want to hop in. A bunch of texts coming in about the sticky stuff. Um, And I want to talk to you about that. You know, we certainly can. If you want to talk about it, dial it up. 312-644-6767. If you want to talk about anything regarding the Cubs and the White Sox that we have brought up, do it. Dial it up and get involved. You can text as well. Kevin Goldstein at the top of the hour. A couple arms that the Cubs might be interested in, I mentioned. I could expound on them a little bit. But um, also, I want to talk to you about an innovation. If you are going to the ballpark tonight, or if you were at the ballpark the last couple of days, something cool is going on on the scoreboard out there, which I thought maybe you, the fan, would be intrigued by. So I want to share that with you, and I'll tweet a picture of it as well so we can discuss. That's next on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score.
0: And podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Pubs already lead by four in a number four. Fly ball left center field and deep. This ball's back toward the wall. Gone! Jock Peterson. Jock does the little stutter step around third. It's a high five from third base coach Willie Harris.
2: Waves to the crowd, Cubs lead seven to two.
1: He's been as big a part of our success as anybody. I mean, since being in the leadoff spot, um, the way he carries himself in the locker room, the way he's attached himself to these guys and they've attached themselves to him. I think he's just all around really proven that he's a big part of
2: our success. Um, I think, you know, we had. David Ross talking about Jock Peterson And Jock with the home run yesterday, big game on Friday for Jock and then back to back in terms of two days in a row. I mean, home runs and does that little Fernando Tatis stutter step as he comes around third. I love it. I wonder what Tatis thinks about it. Has he been asked about it yet? I don't believe so. Um, But, you know, that's Fernando Tatis' move. Jock did it in San Francisco. And now he's done it twice at Wrigley. When asked about it, he says that Tatis has some of uh, the most swag in the game and it's just fun. And if I were Tatis, I would just laugh at that and say he's just doing it as homage. But I wonder Fernando's like, that's my move. Hey, buddy, that's my move. But Jack's got a whole other thing he does. He, like, grabs the collar. Is he doing a Rodney Dangerfield? Oh, I can't get no respect. I don't know what the hell he's doing. He grabs the collar and he moves it over and exposes the collarbone. Have you seen that? That happens also between second and third. Man, at home, these guys are just having so much fun these last couple of days. It's crazy um, seeing uh, all the interaction. Rizzo, as he's rounding the bases after that outrageous at bat and home run on Friday. Talked a bunch of White Sox in the first hour, talking some Cubs here in this hour. Top of the last hour, we'll talk to Kevin Goldstein about things across MLB. And we'll still have time to take your phone calls along the way, including right now and later on in the show. But I wanted to talk about this scoreboard innovation that's happening at Wrigley Field. Um, if you've been there the past couple of days, maybe you noticed. If you haven't and you're going, check it out. I want to help you out if you're going to a game soon. Um, the right field board is increasingly now acting as a living scorecard. This is an ongoing evolving thing. I have uh, I've heard but as you watch during the inning cuz what happens here and I just tweeted a couple of pictures of it. Um during the game, you know, it'll have the full lineup of, over there and as the number, then the position, and then the player And then um, what they've done so far in the games, you'll see 0 for 1 or 1 for 2 or whatever. But during the inning, whatever they do shows up as yellow in that spot. So last night in that Cubs outrageous second inning where they scored five, Rizzo lined out to the shortstop. So that says L6. And then Contreras with the walk, BB, Hap with the home run, and then a couple more walks, a pop up to six, Brian with a walk. It, so it lists it in yellow. So if you are keeping score in your seat or keeping score, I don't know, uh, maybe upstairs in a broadcast booth and you want it, like what happened? You don't have to turn around and ask anybody what happened anymore. If you go to the bathroom and you come back like, wow, how, how did he get on third? You don't have to ask anymore. You still can, of course. And a little conversation with strangers. It's a big part of going to the ballpark. You know me, I didn't know the pandemic was going to be behind us until I was high fiving strangers at a sporting event that has now taken place. High fiving strangers means we're back, baby. So, but anyway, if you go to the bathroom or you go to get something in the concessions and you come back, what happened? I I forgot. And that's how it was born. So, Apparently the scoreboard folks over at Wrigley, they're asking a lot of the software company. Software company had to rewrite the software to get this done. I don't know how many other teams are doing it around the league, but I know that I think it is super cool. It looks awesome. And overall, I mean you guys might remember if you're longtime hit and run listeners, a few years ago I had my friend on who works in that department and was talking to me about the scoreboard and i gave him an idea i take i take full responsibility for this folks if you're at wrigley and you look over and you see that ops is now on the big left field board when a guy comes to bat and you're like you know that's really nice i don't have to add on base and slugging together for paul goldschmidt i can just see what his ops is i i I don't have to add that together that's me Uh, you can thank me adam thank you you're welcome um, just all of Chicago, you're, you're welcome, anybody who goes. Because I was the guy, like, every time I was adding it together. And I said, could you just put OPS up there? You know, have you guys thought about that? And now they do. So, you know, uh, I'm a changer. I'm an effector of change around the game. Not
1: really. Not
2: really. Editor's note, not really. But anyway. Um, you know, I can
1: it- honestly say, Speaks, I wasn't asking for that, but I appreciate your efforts. <laughs> you do? Thanks, always, Adam. always. Thanks,
2: Matty. Yeah. Oh, not, not just on that, but, you know.
1: Oh, and, uh, in, all, in all, all, all aspects of baseball.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it, it's hard to add two three-digit numbers together, okay? Takes a lot of uh, mental dexterity, pulls focus. I mean, there's decimals. Like, what are we doing here, you know? It, there, there might be decimals if somebody's good enough. If somebody has that OPS over one, it's possible. There's not many of those guys. These days. Bryant's um OPS is uh now under one. There's only three guys with an OPS over one in all of baseball right now, in terms of people who have qualified. And qualified means have enough at bats at this point in the season. I think it's something like two point seven at bats per game is the number. And if you don't reach that number by the end of the season, you won't win the batting title. You won't, you know be considered qualified vladimir guerrero jr is 1.123 and oh by the way he hit his 20th home run last night and then it's two reds nick castellanos and jesse winker and still they suck it it's remarkable how the reds can have bats like that and tyler naquin having a pretty good year eugenio suarez started out terribly but he's picked it up a bit they've got a good lineup But they stink. It's amazing. Then there's Acuna, fourth in OPS. And then Shohei Otani, fifth in OPS. That dude. Complete and utter freak. Otani. Just outrageous. Matt Olson, Max Muncie, Yuli Gurriel of the Astros. And there's Chris Bryant, ninth in OPS in all of baseball. Ahead of two Red Sox, Xander Bogarts and JD Martinez. Interesting just to look at this, that leaderboard. I haven't looked at it in a while. Some really good players that folks might not realize are having the years that they are. Brandon Crawford, the Giants shortstop, is a top 20 OPS guy. Marcus Simeon, the former White Sox, currently the second baseman in Toronto, is a top 20. OPS guy, Cedric Mullins, the center fielder, great fielder for the Orioles, the best player on an awful team that you might not know anything about is Cedric Mullins with an OPS over nine and a terrific defensive center fielder. But anyway, I was talking about the right field scoreboard and the scoreboards in general. I know that their goal overall over there is to have dedicated spots where you know the stats will be, and they have those things kind of laid out better. Both the starting pitchers now uh, on that spot there on the right field board, their running pitching line is there as the game goes on. You can see their whole pitching line. When the bullpen guys are warming up, the visitors are listed on the left. The Cubs listed on the right. That's both on the left field wall and the right field wall. Um, and it's, it, it's good. It's nice to, like, know where things are going to be and look over and see it. And not every stadium does this as well, you know? Um, the right field board, by the way, over there at Wrigley, in the middle at the bottom, every single batted ball exit velocity is listed there. If you are an exit velocity person, they, if you dig that as a measurement of, I think that was hit hard, was it? Oh, yes, it was. It's right there for you on every batter ball. Even foul balls are over there. And after a Cubs home run, that's where exit velocity, launch angle, and distance will show up right where the lineup card is. But anyway, as a baseball dork, I must say, pretty cool innovation there in the right field scoreboard. 670, the score is where you are. The Reds are 500, says an angry texter. They don't stink. Okay, that's fair. I take it back. They are 31 and 31, and you know now that Luis Castillo is pitching uh, is pitching better, maybe uh, maybe they're capable of making some noise in the National League Central. So that's fair. The Cardinals are 32 and 32, right there tied with the Reds for third and or fourth in the National League Central. Speaking of that division, by the way, I was talking earlier in the show about how you know, certain teams have, um, certain teams have uh, weathered the storm for injuries. And a lot of them are not doing well, but some are. The White Sox are. The Cubs are. And John had tweeted at me and said, how about the Brewers? Colton Wong, Travis Shaw, Lorenzo Cain, all missing. Christian Yelich been on the I.L. two different times. And yet there are the Brewers atop the National League Central tied with the Cubs. You're absolutely right. A couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was saying that the Cubs and the Cardinals were emerging as the two best teams in the division. And a couple people said, hey, man, watch the Brewers. And they were right. They were right. Right now, it's the Cubs and Brewers atop the division. And the Brewers are one of those teams that always seems to find a way. Even if the offense fails them a little bit, they've got some really good pig power arms that we know about in Peralta and Woodruff and Burns and then the back of the bullpen with Hayter. So yeah, the Brewers are absolutely a team to be reckoned with. That's for sure. Um, A player that was mentioned earlier, and we were wondering if he was in the States and having made his debut, He has. We'll give you the update on that, along with a White Sox lineup for their game, which comes up after hit and run. Uh, we'll do that next and continue talking to you on 670
1: The Score. Mercedes named that RBI in just three pitches. Throw to the plate is not in time. Mercedes scores T.A. It is 11 to
2: 11-2. A lot of runs. Kyle Funkhauser. Is the pitcher for the tire, the Tigers today, is it Oak Forest High School for Kyle Funkhauser? I think so. Palos Heights kid. I do believe, yes, Palos Heights and Kyle Funkhauser out of Oak Forest, Illinois, the Gatorade baseball player of the year. Uh, As a senior in high school, then he went to Louisville, a Dodgers draft pick in 2015, did not sign with the Dodgers, went back to Louisville, turned down a big signing bonus, but then drafted by the Tigers in the fourth round after that, and made his professional debut five years ago. It's been a while in the minors for Kyle Funkhauser, added to the Tigers 40-man roster in tw- after 2019 and you know in t- last year with the tigers he pitched in 13 different games he had an era over seven it has it was not a good run for kyle but he has figured it out now he um he's been a revelation as a reliever and gets a chance to start today. Does the local kid Kyle Funkhauser against the White Sox. And here's how the White Sox will line it up against the right-hander Kyle Funkhauser. Lurie Garcia, bats leadoff today because Tim Anderson gets a day off. (laughs) Remember earlier in the show when I said I wasn't going to go crazy about a a one-game lineup sample? Because, you know, sometimes you want guys who just sort of function like the position in the lineup that they're supposed to be up there. And, and yesterday I thought about piling on and being like, yeah, what's Brian Goodwin with his lifetime 318 on base percentage doing in the two hole? But then I thought, OK, no, I, I get a first game up here, insert him, give him some confidence, tell him what you're looking for. Go ahead, swing the bat, make some make some good contact. And Brian Goodwin had a huge game and they scored 15 runs. So but now I see Larry Garcia bat lead leadoff and I'm like, huh, huh? But anyway, Garcia, then Goodwin, Yoan Moncada, Abreu DH and Yasmani Grandal will play first and bat fifth. Adam Eaton in right will bat sixth. Angle in center. Zach Collins, the catcher for Carlos Rodon and Danny Mendick in the nine hole. So we'll see. It's been working. It's been working very, very well for the White Sox. Most things have. Uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about Yoelki Cespedes and wondering where he was. And... If he had ever gotten through the visa issues, et cetera. Uelke is now playing in extended spring training. And he is playing out there in Arizona. And in fact, he hit a couple homers the other night against the Seattle Mariners. So that was on social media this morning, thanks to those of you that have sent it my way. He is a speed guy, he is also a power guy. Played DH so far over there in extended spring. But a lot of pop for Yelki Cespedes. And he may be a part of the mix sooner rather than later for these Chicago White Sox. Texters getting in at 312-644-6767. 3.1 at-bats per game to qualify. Thank you, not 2.7. Mixing up my math, 2.7. Is how many games each game in a 60 game season was equal to to add up to 162 in terms of thought process last year? So that's why 2.7 was rolling around my head. And then a texture asked this why do you not fault pitchers in this generation for using the sticky stuff but killed steroid users? It's a good question. Um, I think because it is far more gray. It is far more gray about the sticky stuff because not only is it out there for everybody to use but everybody has known that it gets used and there's different degrees of it and that's really all we're talking about like in the end when we when we get here to the bottom line we're gonna get to all right everybody use this and it's rosin mixed with pine tar or it's firm grip mixed with rosin or it's whatever substance there is like in the end they're going to decide on a substance that's okay it's not like they ever decided on all right this brand of human growth hormone is acceptable or this anabolic steroid is acceptable so it it, it's not as what you're dealing with is the kind of thing that has been done for decades and decades in the game that has just become weaponized And the league has known it. So, yeah, there are a lot of similarities with the steroid thing. For sure. But I don't find myself angry at the pitchers. We can talk about it if you want. I don't find myself angry at them because some version of what they're doing has been acceptable. And yes, have they pushed it a little? Yes. Has MLB had the opportunity to stop it? Yes. Did they? No, they did not. So it's a fair question. And I'm willing to look existentially at my own level of outrage or lack thereof about it. But the, um, the roids was also just so ridiculously obvious and impactful over the top. And this has now become obvious now that you're looking for it. Now that you know it's out there and you can't stop watching when guys go to their hat to grab it or guys touch the side of their glove to grab it or when... Uh, a catcher will wipe the fingers on the chest protector before they grab the ball and throw it out there to the pitcher, whatever there's any number of ways. And maybe you're finding yourself um, a detective out there and watching it and you can see it. But pine tar is right there in the game and has been used for a long time. And it's only the people who use it stupidly that end up getting caught, whether it's the pitcher, Kenny Rogers with a, giant spot on his glove or Michael Pineda with that huge batch of pine tar on his neck that was incredibly obvious. It sure is an interesting time and an interesting moment in the game, that's for sure, as they try and figure out exactly what to do, how much to police, when to police, and to go after all of these things. Some um, other matchups around the game today. Uh, By the way, that Tigers lineup is is fairly standard. Most of the folks you have seen, Robbie Grossman, Daz Cameron. Yes, that is Mike Cameron's son. They're the number two hitter. Miguel Cabrera, the number three hitter. It's tough to watch Miguel Cabrera and remember the hitter that he was and see him now. Guy who used to go the opposite way by choice, now seems to go the opposite way for the most part because he's not quick enough to pull the ball. Ah, getting old. Getting old is a bitch, man. And it'll be Carlos Rodon for the White Sox, uh, going against those Tigers. Meanwhile, for the Cubs tonight against the Cardinals, it is Zach Davies. Uh, that game will take place at six oh eight Central Time. So that means pregame at about five thirty-five, right here on six seventy. The score. Davies against Carlos Martinez. Davies was terrific in San Diego. Six shutout innings on Tuesday. Walked out four, struck out a couple, only allowed one hit. He has been terrific in his last eight turns. A 2.16 ERA. He threw five shutout innings against the Cardinals on the 23rd of May as well. I told you that this Cubs pitching staff was going to be sneaky decent A texture says, we need something new speaks. They're not just sneaky decent. No, they are. They are sneaky decent. Because there's a surprise decent. But you want to go further? You can can help me out. You can help me out Um, on another way to describe. Textures on the steroids versus the sticky. Steroids were worse because it affected sacred hitting records, which is adored by fans more than pitching records. That's T-Dog. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, This is now absolutely affecting pitching records, the sticky stuff. And I find myself desensitized uh, when I see things like, hell, Jacob deGrom, I mean, 1.12 by Bob Gibson in 1968 is a pretty darn sacred pitching record. Maddox got close and didn't get there. Pedro Martinez got close and didn't get there. Zach Greinke got very close a few years ago, but didn't get there. Jacob deGrom's ERA right now is 0.56. Unbelievable. Now, there are those who say he's not a beneficiary of that sticky stuff that he's just pure velocity. And that is probably true. I mean, that dude has thrown an outrageous number of pitches over hundred miles per hour, far more than everybody else in the league combined at this point, this season. So, you know, the pitching records are becoming desensitized and it is becoming awkward to look at and see it. And that's, that is part of why it needs to be changed. But the steroids that did affect the hitting records, yes, that affected the conversations you'd all had with your dads and your siblings and your buddies about home runs. Affected it massively and negatively. One more hour of Hit and Run to go here on 670 The Score. We'll kick it off with a conversation with Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs about sticky stuff, about trade deadline, and who knows what else. We'll do that next right here on Hit and Run on The Score.